Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly Sunday evening to you. Goodly Sunday evening to you too. You, you, you must not be long back in Dublin. I'm literally 15, 20 minutes back in the house and I'm sitting wow. here right in front of the microphone to record the podcast with you, having just returned from London. Uh, we had a very annoying, well, it wasn't that annoying, but uh, the plane landed in Dublin. It was one of those where we were a bit early, so we didn't have anywhere to park. You know, they go, oh, there's another plane on the stand. and uh, Sure. And then I think there was somebody on the plane who had shit themselves. Uh, so For that real? Was, yeah, it was, there were just wafts of this terrible <laughs> odour going through the plane as we sat there for about, well, about 25 minutes on the tarmac. Then we had to taxi. So it was about 40 minutes from the time we landed to the time we got out of the plane, which is about the same as just a little bit less than the flight from London to Dublin. But hey... What can you do? Small complaint. It was a good weekend. A really good game of football to be at. And uh, I think there's lots lots for us to talk positively about this evening. Yes. And I must say, I mean, I have a modicum of sympathy with whoever that unfortunate person was on that aeroplane. I mean, presumably the seatbelt sign was on this whole time. So yeah. he was kind of trapped, you know. <laughs> yeah, It's a I horrible so. position to be in. The, the, there, but for the grace of God, <laughs> go we all. Yeah, well, it sounds like the voice of experience there, James. I'm not going to ask you to expand <laughs> I can't on comment that. on that. I can't possibly comment. Um, so was this your, am I right in thinking this was your first... Emirates Stadium experience since the the new manager was appointed. Yeah, my first game uh, to see Unai Emery's team. Uh, first time I've been yeah. over this season, so it was nice. You know, I've I've. There's always a different view, isn't there? When you go to a game, you view things differently, or you, you come away with different, perhaps a different mm. point of view or a different perspective. And I think that was really marked for me yesterday because there were things that I thought in the immediate aftermath of the game that when I reviewed uh, today and when I watched some things again today and I watched Match of the Day, I haven't watched the whole game again, but I've watched Match of the Day and seen certain things. There are certain opinions that I had yesterday that I don't have now on the basis of having seen new things and read uh, you know, stats and, and all that kind of stuff. Which is interesting. interesting, you know, and I was trying to do player ratings yesterday on the phone in the pub afterwards. It was a bit tricky and fiddly. And, uh, you know, I hold my hands up and say, I don't think I got uh, got some of them right. Uh, I think Alex Iwobi was better than I thought, even though I thought he was good. Uh, he was much better mm-hmm. than I thought he was when he came on. I think Mesut Ozil was better than I thought he was overall. I thought he had a, a really good performance. Um Lacazette, I think, even though he didn't have the greatest game in, ter- in front of goal, apart from the, the goal that he scored, 
Uh, he was better than I thought. Uh, you know, he worked so hard uh, throughout the game. That was that was really evident. I thought perhaps the uh, the the change when he took Aubameyang off. I was thinking, why are you doing that when we need a goal and you're taking off a striker? And then I heard somebody say that Aubameyang hasn't scored a goal yet against one of the big teams or made an assist. And I know it's still a very small sample size, but I do wonder if that was in Unai Emery's thinking. Um, mm-hmm. But overall, you know, it was it was a really positive day, a really positive game. Uh, I think one that we can be overall very happy with. And I know that every time we do a podcast, we talk about well, the defensive mistakes and the defensive errors and the chances we give the opposition. And I do wonder if at this point we just have to accept those as part and parcel of who we are. And 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 if we can compete despite having those deficiencies, is that not a really positive thing? I, you know, maybe I'm thinking about it wrong, but I don't know. That just occurs to me today. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's certainly who we are at the moment. And look, it's a darn sight better than who we were, mm. uh, you know, certainly for most of last season. So I, I think it is something we have to accept, uh, accept. And also the the manner in which we're playing does sometimes leave us a little bit vulnerable in some areas. I also think against an, op- an opponent of Liverpool's calibre, yeah. I think you have to accept they're probably going to create chances to score. Sure. Um, I, I don't know any Arsenal fans who went into yesterday's game thinking we're going to keep a clean sheet here. Um no. You know, almost invariably they were going to get chances and score goals. And the fact that we came away from, from it with a point, I think, is really positive. And I, I think that there was a, a lot to like about the performance. And I wasn't there, actually, yesterday. Unusually, I wasn't yeah. at the game. But watching it on telly, it struck me that the atmosphere looked really good. I mean, was that reflected in your experience in the stands? A little bit, because but I was sitting beside my brother, who is uh, obviously the Monk Smasher, and he's a Liverpool fan. So... He was, he like he said, he doesn't necessarily react if there's goals and things like that. He can sit in his hands. But if he perceives a foul, let's say a Liverpool player commits a foul and he doesn't really think it's a foul, which is when every time a Liverpool player commits a foul, by the way, <laughs> he can be a bit like... Uh, and he was very aware of not outing himself as a Liverpool fan uh, sitting beside a guy who was singing his head off the whole game. In fairness, this guy was absolutely shouting his head off. The atmosphere was really good. And I think what was quite interesting was when they scored, there was a... Apart from the Liverpool fans down the other end, which I couldn't really hear from where I was sitting, there was a silence came over the Emirates after they scored, mm. and it lasted a couple of seconds. And then all of a sudden, there was a kind of crescendo of noise to urge the team on and to urge them to react and to to get behind them to get a goal that I think we all knew that we had in us on the day yeah. because we had played. We'd played some really good stuff, you know. Um, there was a, There was a lot to like about the way we played. And overall, in this season, there's a lot to like about our resilience and character. And we use these words and have used these words week in, week out now, haven't we? Because of our second-hand or second-half performances, the way that we score goals in the second half, win games in the second half, come back from a goal down here or there uh, and get ourselves back into games. So there was, I think what we had there was uh, the, the crowd knew that this wasn't a fatal blow. You know, it was disappointing. It was a uh, not a great time to concede. It's always a blow when you let a goal in because I was thinking nil-nil, you know, we could maybe sneak it here with a goal. But uh, there was sort of like a... 
it felt like something is growing between the fans and the team, that there's a sort of a trust or a belief uh, on behalf of the fans that we can still get something even against a team as good as Liverpool. I think it's exactly that. And when you said, you know, there was that silence and then that kind of roar from the crowd, I mean, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up because that's what you want at home, isn't it? That Mm. feeling of, you know, when something goes against you, so many times in the past with Arsenal, it's felt like, you know, we concede one goal and the whole house falls down. You know, it all collapses. And it doesn't feel like that at the moment, particularly, I think, because of this sort of strange occurrence of us sort of growing into games and being stronger in the second half, there is always a confidence that we will come through in the end. And I think there was probably a strong sense of injustice as well, because I think had we, you know, lost one nil, I don't think that would have reflected our performance. I don't I think no. that would have been less than we deserved. So the fact that we were able to come back and get the point, I mean look, it's it was a game that's kind of on a knife edge. There were chances at both ends. It could have gone either way. And I think most people accept that a draw was probably a, a fair result but it, our performance and the manner in which we sort of went toe to toe with Liverpool yeah. and competed with them I think is what's really giving people encouragement yeah I mean I think that that's the thing that we needed to see next under Unai Emery was uh, the ability to to get results against the big teams now in fairness over the last number of seasons our, our results against the big teams at home have been pretty good so this was the next step. The next step is doing it away from home, which is probably Old Trafford is our, our next big away test. But on the basis of us having to get something from that game, going a goal down, playing against, you know, a front three that's been uh, fantastic this season, um, perhaps allowing them a couple of chances too many here and there. But, you know, we, we had a couple of good, really good saves from Burn Leno. Uh, they hit the post, of course. Mm. That was one. Oh, that one! I thought, oh my god, it's trickling in. It's trickling in. <laughs> yeah. uh, who was there though? Who was there following that ball in to make sure that if it didn't go in, he could get it clear? Lucas Torreira. Boy, that guy was fucking great yesterday. He was. Yeah. I tell you what, there were there were two partnerships yesterday that I thought were really great. Torreira and Xhaka. Both of them absolutely superb in midfield. Mm -hmm. And holding, and to a slightly lesser extent, Mustafi, because I think he was a little bit caught on his heels for one of the the Liverpool chances. But overall, that was as uh, decent a performance from Mustafi as we've seen in a a long time. Um, But I'm liking what I'm seeing from Rob Holding at centre-half. I like the fact that Torreira and Xhaka are becoming a bit of a partnership. It really does feel like they balance each other really well, doesn't it? Yeah, they do. They seem to kind of cancel out the flaws in each other's games, particularly for Shaka. You know, he's we've looked at him and seen he needed a more mobile partner, someone who is a bit more defensively switched on. And Torreira provides that. They they're a perfect pivot in some ways. And I think in this game I realised quite how much we'd miss Shaka when he'd been deployed out at left back. You know, that we spoke mm. about that after the Palace game, not really having someone who could control the midfield. And I thought he was uh outstanding against Liverpool I thought he and Torreira were the best two players in our team and you know it's 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 just great to see that chemistry between them it's such a difficult thing to get the the right balance in central midfield and it's not always as you would predict you know Mm. we thought Shaka and Ramsey might be uh, the answer we never thought that Cazorla and Coquelin would be the answer but it seems we might we might have struck a bit of gold here with this Torreira Shaka pairing because they dovetail so well. And I thought, 
you know, against a really strong Liverpool midfield um, who've been doing really well this season, I thought they, they actually dominated that part of the pitch. Yeah, I think Xhaka defensively was really good as well. There was that moment, wasn't there, where he got back and made a brilliant tackle brilliant on Salah. Brilliant tackle, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I tell you what, I did watch that passage of play and... Uh, I know he's only just back from injury, but say Kolasinac did not do himself any favours whatsoever there because uh, when the ball broke down, he he did not really make any effort to get back. And Xhaka saved his bacon. And that's not something you would normally say. And I saw people waxing lyrical about Kolasinac. I thought under the circumstances, considering who he was playing, he did okay. But there were moments where I thought, oh man, this guy, I I just don't know what to make of him. I do not know what to make of him. He's great going forward in the last few minutes even, or in the last, uh, before he was taken off, he got forward a a couple of times, some good crosses. But defensively, he worries the shit out of me. He really does. But I think that, I don't want to talk about that actually today. And we can maybe um, discuss that at a later date or different podcast when he's got a few more games under his belt. But I just wanted to illustrate the fact that uh, where he was lacking yesterday, Xhaka was there to make up for it with that tackle. Um, and it's yeah. not something you normally associate with Xhaka is that kind of defensive awareness. And look, I was glad that Kolasinac was fit ultimately on the day. Yes. You know, whatever reservations I had yeah. about him, it was better to have a left back of sorts than, than no left back at all, which is what we were facing up to without him there. So... Yeah, I thought that was good play from Shaka, and I thought, you know, defensively, he was really good on the day. It's a part of his game that has been criticised and justifiably so, but I just think he's got so much more support. I mean, it yeah. seems crazy now to think that, you know, a, a matter of months ago, we were playing a midfield where it was basically Xhaka left on his own while everyone else bombed on. <laughs> you know, it seems ludicrous. You know, we wouldn't we wouldn't dare do that now. And I thought, you know, you mentioned those two partnerships, Shaka and Torreira, and Mustafi and Holding, I thought that quartet really yeah. were, were very decent against w- really one of the most atta- uh, best attacks in Europe. I thought they stayed close together at times. I thought the midfield protected the centre-halves. Mm. I thought there was a coherence and a, a unity about the way they played as a four that was really encouraging. Yeah, I think there's a lot to like about what's going on with Rob Holding as well. You know, mm. this, this is a guy who's not... Um, maybe getting any of the plaudits and I think that might be a good thing I think it might be a healthy thing but he is he's really growing in stature and confidence you can see it you can see it in the way that he plays he's just quietly going about his job and doing what he's supposed to be doing and it's very very encouraging so we'll leave it there because I don't want to start a hype machine or anything like that but let's quickly just touch on holding for England (laughs) holding for president um yeah (laughs) Just in terms of the team selection, obviously good to have the fullbacks back. Mm-hmm. Uh, midfield, I think we knew what was going to happen. Were you surprised at the presence of Mkhitaryan in the in the team? I actually was a little bit surprised, just because Alex Iwobi's been in really good form. I thought, you know, that he and he uh, he didn't play in the week, did he? So I thought he'd be in at the weekend, but it made a certain degree of sense. Mkhitaryan and Bellerin has been a, a pretty productive partnership down the right hand side. And yeah. It wasn't a balanced front four, was it, against Palace? It didn't work particularly well on that occasion. So you could see Emery's thinking there. Yeah, I, I, I kind of called it, I think, before the game, saying that did, I thought yeah. he might he might bring in Mkhitaryan there. Um, I can understand why he did it. Uh, I don't think it was a game where Mkhitaryan really um, enhanced his reputation in any way. Uh should have scored, I think, in the first half. He should have scored that mm. header uh, when Allison when Allison came out. Um, but overall, um, I don't know what I'm talking about now. 
<laughs> Mkhitaryan. 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 Sorry, that's I mean, he's a, he's a jet lag. Player, jet lag. Yeah, it's the, it's the time difference. It's difficult <laughs> for you to negotiate. I, um, I've been thinking about Mkhitaryan this week because I suppose in the light of the kind of Aaron Ramsey fallout and his contractual situation, you know, I'm kind of reminded, I don't know, of course, exactly what Henry Mkhitaryan's earning, but it's a lot, isn't it? I mean, he is a mm. he is one of the squad's top earners, yes. and yet he's not really somebody who could be said to be commanding a regular place, um, or certainly not an automatic pick at any rate. And it's a it's an interesting one because he is a you know a significant outlay in terms of salary, but I do think there are question marks over exactly how he fits in and whether he he does fit in for Emery. Um, it, it keeps going back and forth. I keep thinking he's going to be out of the team and then he's back in. He's having a very, a yeah. very in and out season. I, I think the thing is, though, it's it's to do with the fact that if we play Aubameyang and Lacazette, Aubameyang has to play on the left, which is where you would normally play Iwobi. But Iwobi doesn't seem to be able to do it on the right, as we discussed on the show last week. Whereas Mkhitaryan is a kind of better fit for the right-hand side naturally than Iwobi. So he kind of gets in there by default on the basis that he is the... The, the best option that we have there right now, rather than necessarily uh, him being the kind of player who is demanding a place in the first team with the the with the performances that he's putting in. So yeah, I can. I think I did look at the stats for the game, and I think he put in four crosses, which I think was the most of any Arsenal player, and a couple of them were pretty decent, although they mm. didn't really find their targets. He he does have decent delivery from that right hand side. Uh, he, he's just a player who. I'm convinced he sort of, you know, he impresses in moments, but he does struggle to impose himself consistently over 90 minutes. Yeah. I want to go back to the midfield too, because I think that's where where Liverpool, if they were really going to get on top of us, needed control of the midfield area. And they never had it. Uh, Fabinho, um, the mug smasher, was reading the Anfield rap uh, this morning, uh, yeah. uh, their review of the game, and they were pretty scathing about Fabinho in there. Uh, I, I don't think he was that great, uh, but I think it's more to do with how good Shaka and Torreira were, that they had the control which gave us the platform to get back into the game once once we'd gone behind. But I think overall there's a, there's a work ethic there with, with Unai Emery's team. I don't know if you saw these stats going around. It's on Sky Sports. So in terms of total distance covered in yesterday's game, we did 117.34 kilometers to Liverpool's 115.94, and we had 148 sprints to Liverpool's 126 sprints. So when Emery talks about hard work and when he talks about demanding a lot from the players in terms of effort on the pitch, and that's the one thing that he said at the very start, isn't it? The one thing I promise you is that this team will work hard. We are working hard. And I think those numbers are reflective across the season in terms of how far we're running, how many sprints we're making, the physical statistics of this Arsenal team are markedly different from the physical statistics from uh, Arsenal of last season. Yes, and actually, to be fair to the performance team and Darren Burgess, you know, those numbers were up last season on the season before. So I think, you know, he he and his staff probably due a certain degree of credit here, plenty of credit, in fact, for the intensity with which this team is playing. But I think those numbers against Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool, no less, who you think of as this frenetic, energetic, intense side, the fact that we outran them, out-sprinted them, is fantastic. And, you know, it's sort of anathema to some of the passive Arsenal performances we might remember in the past. And Lucas Torreira, I mean, I do think 
exemplifies that. I thought he was fantastic throughout the game. And oh. he... I mean, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? When you sign a player, there's inevitably a thing where the fans kind of project their ideal onto the player. You know, they, they, they imagine him to be the solution, the player that we need, you know, the guy who's going to make the midfield function. Mm. And then over a period of time, you suddenly realise sort of the gap between what you hoped for and what you have, or at least it's felt like that with a lot of Arsenal signings in the past. In his case, he, I feel like he is not only matching those expectations, I think in terms of what he does on the ball, I think he's exceeding expectations. Um, I, I think his passing is really something that people don't talk about enough. I think he's really intelligent. And yesterday there were times when he was breaking forward. He almost scored at one point. I just thought it was a complete midfield performance with him. And I feel, you know, this summer's transfer business does look to be pretty positive, but I think he alone is just a fantastic... Uh, a fantastic, what's the word, credit, I suppose, to to what we've done in the window. Well, I think the word you used is he exemplifies the hard work or the demands mm. of Unai Emery. And there was a bit late on in the game, which maybe you wouldn't have seen if you weren't there. Do you ever get, um, when you play football, do you ever get a blister or do you ever get like slight cramps in your legs or you know, whatever? Yeah. You, and by the end of the game, you're sort of, you're running on your... Um, I don't know, you try and tread as lightly as you can, you know? So each each step that you run, you try and skim the ground as much as possible so you don't exactly aggravate, you, you know, mean, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a bit late on where he was providing cover to the right-back position. I can't remember if Liverpool were coming down the left or not, but he scampered over there and, uh, you know, he looked like he was absolutely dead on his feet. Dead on his feet, he was in pain, he was hurting, you know, he'd run himself into the ground, but he was still getting over there to do the job that he knew he had to do. And there was a break in play, and I think he went down and got a little bit of treatment. It was just like I think he just needed a rest. But it's that it's that character and that willingness to do that job, even when you're absolutely knackered, that makes a difference. Because if you see another teammate of yours doing it, you'd be a fucking cunt if you don't do it yourself nobody wants to be the fucking cunt right when it comes to that kind of thing whereas i don't think we've always been the kind of team that's put in the sort of effort that's required for 90 minutes i don't think we have and he yeah. he he absolutely is an example to every other player about what you can give physically mentally organizationally whatever kind of other elise you can think of he, he just gives it everything for all the time that he's on the pitch, and it's fantastic. Yeah, and now he's out there winning headers against guys a foot taller than him, yeah. you know, and competing for everything. I mean, I love the, the hunger with which he plays the game, you know, chasing things down, sliding into tackles. There's one brilliant passage of play that I've seen, kind of, I think someone's made it into a gif and it's floating around the internet. I've, I think he dispossesses... Uh, I think it's Mane and then, you know, with a brilliant tackle and then Arsenal have the ball. They give it away tw- 20 seconds later. The ball breaks to Salah and he's in there again, winning it back. Oh, really? I mean, OK. Yeah, he's just he's just mopping up uh, and so tidy, so tidy in the way he wins it back, the way he, he moves it on. Uh, I, I really do feel that we are... We're blessed, really, to have got him for the fee that we got him for as well, which I think is, you know, in the scheme of things, in the current market, an absolute bargain. Um, and watching him blossom, I mean, I think he's actually the only Arsenal player to have featured in every competitive game yeah. this season, despite his late arrival and his relatively slow introduction to the team. He's played in every single mm. game, which I think shows 
how important he is. And he's been used, even when he's been left out, as a kind of tactical substitution to help us secure points or, or, or push on and win points. So he's made himself yeah. absolutely indispensable. I, I, found, and, um, I found that gif, uh, to be honest. Oh, have you? Yeah, I found it. And that is exactly it. That's exactly what I'm talking about. He's watching. He sees us give the ball away, chases down one guy, chases down the next guy, puts his body in front, wins the ball, plays it to his teammate, and off we go again. Brilliant. Mm. Absolutely it's, brilliant. It's, it's pure professionalism, really. And that's what you want. And one of the words you mm. mentioned talking about what he helps bring to the team is organisation. And I think for a lot of Arsenal fans watching the this Liverpool, Liverpool game, that mm. would have been one of the big positives that we did look organised. And actually, when you look at the... Um, the kind of heat map of a position map of average positions for every player in the game. There's like a remarkable structure and symmetry to this team. Uh, and I thought we looked a lot more sort of tactically robust than perhaps we have done in some of these big games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree. Uh, you know, there was a lot to be, a lot to be happy about with what we saw yesterday. Um, you know, I think it it's the kind of performance that we needed for people to start really taking us a bit more seriously. I don't think we're title contenders or anything like it yet, but there's something going on. Uh, and even if we can't always put our finger on exactly what it is all the time, uh, it's clear that something is happening and it's positive. So let's mm-hmm. just go back over a couple of the incidents in the game. Uh, they hit the post. Not not great goalkeeping from Bernd Leno. No, he was in no man's land, really, wasn't he? I mean, it was funny. Both keepers kind of yeah. had a moment like that. Yeah. Um, Alisson got caught out on the on the Mkhitaryan header and arguably both should have been a, a goal. Yeah. Um, I mean, Leno's an interesting one. I, uh, I I have to say I like a lot about him. I really like the, his confidence. I like his distribution. I thought he made a couple of excellent saves yesterday, particularly from Van Dijk. But I also think he's looked a little bit flappy on... On crosses, and I'd probably include Liverpool's opening goal in. There. Mm, okay, um, we can discuss that then. Well, well, yeah. I mean, what did you make of it? Um, I've had to watch it again because uh, you know, having only seen it really once uh, when I wrote the blog this morning, I wasn't sure if it was poor goalkeeping or if he was just a bit unlucky. And I mm. have to say, I think I'm coming down on the side of him just being a bit unlucky because of the touch it got off holding which took it into the path of, of Milner. I think he has to try and get there. It's a really good cross. I think we've got to give some credit to, to the cross. It's difficult for Mine the goalkeeper. Well. Yeah. yeah. So it's difficult for the goalkeeper. He has to make a decision as to whether or not he stays or goes. He went for it. He got fingertips on it. It deflected off holding into the path of Milner. I knew the minute Milner was coming onto it, he was going to score as well. Um but yeah, I had that feeling about. I, it, I agree with you in general about some of the crosses and the way that he he can look a bit suspect under the high ball, particularly under or from a good set piece delivery. I think he can be a little bit unassuring, but I was very assured in certain other. Oh, he situations. is. I mean, there was great. There was a really uh, a moment in the game where the crowd were getting quite anxious about us passing the ball out from the back, and it kept going back to the goalkeeper. And eventually, we passed it out, and everyone was like, "Ah, oh, hurrah! Well done!" Um, but you you feel very confident of Leno's part in that build up in the way that we play or way the way we try and play the ball out from the back. Very confident with that. I'm not so confident when he is uh, put under pressure from set pieces and crosses. I think. 
there is perhaps a, a little bit of a weakness there, but I wouldn't mm. put yesterday's goal down to to that. That's fair enough. I, I, I think it's people are quite divided on it. A lot of people have told me that I'm wrong, certainly on the internet, as, they, <laughs> as they're always keen to do. I just feel that having got there, I feel like he could have made a better contact than he did. I think if he goes with, you know, if he goes with a proper punch, does he get more clearance on it? And ultimately, he is unlucky that it's a flex off holding, but he knows holding's there. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, if that was a striker, you wouldn't push it towards them. So don't push it towards a centre-half who can't do much about it either. Yeah. But... I take your point that there is definitely an element of misfortune involved as well. Yeah. And I also think, you know, you look at the other end of the pitch, you've got Alisson, who's a £75 million goalkeeper, whatever he is, making certain similar errors, certainly this season. And I I do wonder if there's a trade-off involved here. You know, you've, you've brought a goalkeeper in who... He's very confident with the ball at his feet, has brilliant reflexes. He's, a, in every respect, a very modern goalkeeper. Yeah. But maybe isn't, you know, the classic Premier League, Petr Cech-style, brilliant under the high ball keeper that yeah. we might be accustomed to. And ultimately, a decision is being made between those two, I think, based on the different qualities they bring to the team. And, and what you would say is, at whatever he is, 26, 10 years younger than Petr Cech, at least... Leno has the opportunity and the chance in all likelihood to improve in that situation. Yeah, I think we um, can improve him. I, ju- I just think sometimes there are things that players are good at naturally. And I think yeah. Czech is naturally a dominant goalkeeper in that regard. Under the high ball, he's good at punching. He, he can come for crosses. Generally speaking, he's he's pretty solid in that area. Not so much with the ball at his feet. You know, I think we could probably teach Leno to be a bit better, but I don't think it's going to be his his area of natural strength. I think that comes with the shot stopping and with um, with the ball at his feet and the way that he can be involved in in our distribution. So, so yeah. yeah look, I, I can't really pin too much blame on him for for the goal. Uh, and, and the other thing I'd say is I thought Hector Bellerin yesterday was fantastic. Again, the only time that they got in behind him was for that goal. So um, that that was a little bit unfortunate. But I thought overall Bellerin was was very solid at, at right back. Just going back to their goal that wasn't the offside goal, what's your thoughts mm. on that? Because I think I think that's the right decision. I do as well. And I know that the laws of the game kind of dictate otherwise, but when that ball is played through, yeah. I, I find it hard to accept that Mane's not active at that point. Well he goes for the ball and he then goes for the ball. And then drops off when, when Firmino makes the run through. So he's offside, he goes for the ball, flag should have gone up there. That's if I think he was where the problem back is. towards his own goal, hands in the air. Do you know what I mean? Sort of I'm not yeah, yeah. going for this. I think that's different. But he he would have got onto it had Firmino not, and, and he was certainly headed that direction. So for me that was uh the correct call. I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, some officials might have seen otherwise. So in that respect, it's a little bit of a an escape for us. But I, you know, I, I was actually quite surprised when on the on the TV, they were like, oh, yeah, no, that goal should have stood. And BT have that thing where they have an official in the studio and he says what he thinks. And he was like, no, that's a, a good goal. It's a mistake from the, the guys at, at, at pitch side. But yeah, for me, I was like, well, Mane's involved there. He's trying to play the ball. He is absolutely involved. I don't know how anybody could dispute that. So, you know, mm. after whatever happened after that, I think he, he was offside. I don't know if the offside decision was made because of that, though. I think that the linesman gave the offside because he thought Mane was ahead of the ball when Firmino uh, put it over Leno. So I think it was oh, really? the I think it was the right decision, but 
for the, for the wrong, wrong reason. <laughs> so, you know, I don't, uh, you know, Liverpool and Liverpool fans can can think what they like about the goal being uh, good or not, but I, I think he was offside and he was active. He went for the ball. The flag should have gone up and, you know, I think the, the right decision uh, came out in the end there. So we're a goal down. We're at home. We've been playing well. The crowd is behind the team. There's good atmosphere. There was a little spell when Liverpool, after the goal, I think, controlled the game a little bit. You know, sometimes it can set you back on your heels. We made some changes. Uh, we brought on Iwobi for Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan. Yes, and Ramsey yeah. came on for Aubameyang. And I have to say, I was a little bit like, uh, you know, we need a goal. And we're bringing on, yeah. um, and I, you know, uh, Ramsey is a player who could get you a goal, no question, but you're taking off a really good striker. Um, somebody had to be sacrificed. I thought he might actually put Ramsey on for Kalasinac, mm. move Xhaka back Xhaka to, to left, left back. back. That's what I was anticipating too. And play Ramsey and Torreira in midfield, keep Aubameyang on the field to, to um, you know, to give you that goal threat. But he made the decision he made, and ultimately uh, it kind of paid off because um, Ramsey took a defender with him when we had possession, just moved out of the way and brought, I think it was Alexander-Arnold, brought mm. him out to the to the wing a little bit, which gave Iwobi the room to, to pick a pass. And what a great pass that is from Alex Iwobi to Lacazette. Watching it live in the stadium, I thought, oh, no, he's taken a touch too many. Uh, but when you look at the replays of that, it's not his first touch. It's his second touch, which is superb. Maybe it's his third touch. I'm going to have to watch it again maybe when I download the game properly. But he takes a touch to take it out of the arms of the goalkeeper, maybe another touch, and then plays it back so he can curl the ball in. But just the weight of that touch to bring it beyond the defender, allowing him the angle to curl the ball in, what a brilliant finish that is from Lacazette. Yeah, because it looks for all the world like he's kind of overdone it, doesn't it? You know, that he's overrun the ball and it's gone. It is his second touch, which kind of, he takes it with his instep and it sort of just sets the ball up brilliantly for him to strike it. And the finish, I mean, he's putting together quite the collection of goals. His YouTube compilation for this year is going to be something else. But I also think as well, the addition of, we mentioned Iwobi coming on and Ramsey. I think we brought Danny Welbeck on too, just before the goal. And it looked like we went to something like two up front. And it just, I think, added sort of a a bit of that chaotic element that Welbeck can bring. I think gave Liverpool another problem to think about. And he was also potentially getting onto that pass from Iwobi. But everything, like I said, does is fantastic. I love the goal, love the celebration. And it was definitely no less than we deserved. Unquestionably. I would have felt terrible if we hadn't come out of that game with something. But, you know, I kind of always felt like we could get it. You know, mm. it does feel like we can get things from games and, and turn things around. Uh, and the way we were playing yesterday, it certainly merited one goal. We could have scored another towards the end, couldn't we? Uh, Hector Bellerin uh, curling over. Mm. It wasn't that far away. It looked far away, actually, at the time. It looked a bit further. Yeah. But when you look at the replays, it's one of those where, you know, if he'd been, I don't know, maybe just a little bit uh, a little bit more accurate. That's a ridiculous thing to say. If he'd been more accurate and put it in the top <laughs> corner, it would have gone in. But I it just mean, might have gone in. It wasn't going out for a throw. That's what I'm trying to get at here. Uh, but, I mean, they had a yeah. chance, didn't they, after we scored Mane? 
Um, he curled one not far over. They got a corner for some reason. I've got no idea why they got a corner either. Uh, but I think overall, you can't really argue with with one one in that game. They were a good team who played quite well, who threatened us. Uh, should we take a moment, uh, uh, as horrible as it might be, to give some praise to an opposition player? Because I thought Virgil Van Dijk was absolutely outstanding. Uh, I know his yeah. finishing wasn't great. Thankfully, I enjoyed that part. That his finishing wasn't great, but defensively, wow. I, I'd, you know, I, I wasn't always convinced necessarily when he was at Southampton, but uh, God, I wish we had him in our team. Mm. I mean, Arsenal, I think, rather famously, weren't massively convinced when he was at Celtic. They were someone; he, he was reportedly someone they were looking at, and it, it didn't come out. to pass. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's all happened now, but uh, he is brilliant. I mean, he's better than I thought. I think, and you know, sometimes a player goes up a step they go into a big team and they just blossom and he has done that I think he's probably the best centre back in the in the Premier League and he looks worth all the money Liverpool have paid for him and they don't concede a lot of goals I mean you know they've got one of the best defences in the Premier League this season in terms of record so um, yeah I, I thought he was excellent it would be very nice wouldn't it to think that we might be able to Sven could find someone yeah. like that for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe we've got one. Uh, you know, he's kind of tall and Greek, isn't he? So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see if young uh, Dinos Mavropanos can be our Virgil van Dijk. But I think that's that's some way down the line. But just, you know, uh, without wanting to blow smoke up uh, van Dijk's arse or anything, I just think it puts into into context the performance that we had against a team who were very good, who have been very good all season long, who've only conceded four goals. Uh, so just... Uh, to, to come away from that game knowing that we were in it, we were in it for 90 minutes, we could have won it, we could, we, maybe we could have lost it as well, but ultimately we've, we've proved something to people who were dismissive of the run that we were on, which I just can't, I can't get my head around it. This sort of contradiction in terms, isn't it? Yeah, you're only beating the teams that you're supposed to beat. So? Yeah. So? You're only beating the teams you're playing. Yeah. <laughs> Assholes, what are you doing? You should be beating two teams at a time. You know, I just, I just. You should be beating the Dutch team from the seventies. Yeah, yeah exactly. it's, it's ludicrous. <laughs> it's a sensational run that we're on, yeah. and I do think as well that it's cumulative, and that this result and this performance against Liverpool probably wouldn't have happened without this run. It's imbued the players and the fans, like you said, with a certain confidence, and it's repairing a lot of relationships. And I just feel like there is. Uh, a belief, and I know that people sometimes get frustrated when people talk about intangibles in football. You know, it's easy to sort of dismiss things like that as kind of, you know, uh, nonsense. But I do think it, it's very clear that this team is energised by what's happening to them and what's and by a new influence and by something of a, a clean slate. They seem invigorated by that. And yeah. I think the fans are responding to it and the team are then responding to that. It's, it's really positive and I'm sure you were struck by it yesterday being at the stadium for the first time this season yeah that the the energy is a lot more positive than it has been for sure for sure you know I, I there's I don't really want to go over all ground and uh, of course you know we all know the reasons why things were a little bit more contentious over the last couple of years but you know 
one of the things Wenger always said was that it's uh, it's the job of the team to get the crowd up and the two work together. You know, we can have this circular argument. Should the team be or should the fans be behind the team when they're playing badly and and, uh, and they need the fans, et cetera, et cetera? Or, or, you know, do the fans have to perform to get the, uh, the, the people in the stadium behind them? It's just it goes, there's no answer to it. But what you can say is that since the 18th of August when we lost 3-2 to Chelsea, our record is win, 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 draw, win, draw. That's a fantastic run. That's a fantastic run. Sounds good. It does sound good, doesn't it? And you're right. It absolutely played a part in our belief, our ability to get something from the game yesterday, and our ability to not feel in any way... uh, even if I think Liverpool were favourites, not to feel inferior, even when we went behind, to know that we had whatever we needed within the squad, within the the tactical structure, within the way Emery used his subs and, and got his team playing. We knew we had a goal in us at least, and uh, and so it proved. So overall, a, a really a really good day, I think. Yeah, and look, two home games to come next week against Sporting and Wolves. And I like that in the aftermath of the game, Emery was immediately talking about, look, we've had a couple of Premier League draws. We want to go and get three points against Wolves next weekend. And we've got an opportunity to extend that run. And the longer it keeps going, I think the better it's going to be for for confidence for everybody. So this was, you know, a landmark fixture in our season. There was a a big build-up to it. You know, I almost didn't know what the next game was after Liverpool because I've had this match in my mind for so long, thinking it's all about that. You know, we're getting to that point. Can we prove something on that day? And I think we came through that day, if anything, feeling better about this team than we did before. So... Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a step it's forward. It's a it's, little, great. it's a little step forward, isn't it? We've got it's another these, step forward. We've yeah. got these little tests, little markers in our season that we either go past or we take a little step backwards before we go forwards again. This was one of them. I think we came through it uh, with flying colours, and uh, I'm glad to have been there for my first match uh, of the season and to watch the first uh, watch you and I Emery's Arsenal for the first time. So. And can I ask, what yeah. was um, the Mug Smasher's impression of Arsenal as a neutral? Did you chat to him at all about Yeah, that? he was he was impressed. He was impressed. I mean, he obviously um, knows a lot about Arsenal because of because of what I do, and we, we talk about it a bit. So, yeah, he, he was impressed. He kind of felt a little bit like it was points dropped for Liverpool, just based on the chances that they had. Uh, mm. But he wasn't going crazy about it or anything like that. But... You know, the, he he sees there's a lot to like about Arsenal. Lucas Torreira was somebody he he waxed lyrical about. Thought he was absolutely fantastic uh, in, in midfield. Um, so yeah, he uh, he enjoyed the experience. Um, the last couple of times actually we've gone to this game together, uh, Arsenal have won fairly convincingly. There was a goal. Remember the game when. Ramsey scored that brilliant goal. Oh, the, the, the dipping, the dipping yeah. volley or the half volley type one. He was at that one with me. There was another one a couple of a good few seasons ago, where I think we won three nil or three one. Uh, so his experiences of watching Arsenal versus Liverpool at the Emirates have been. Uh, he's enjoyed the the day out and everything else, but not so much the match. Whereas he enjoyed the match yesterday. But I think he felt like it's. You know, the, 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 there might well be a gap between us and Liverpool, but it's not mm. significant. 
And that's well, they're they're pushing to win the league this yeah. year, aren't they? I mean, that's that's what it's about for them. So every point dropped, especially when you're going up against that rampant Manchester City team, yeah. is potentially costly. But I think for us, and given our targets. You know, I think it's a better point for us than it is for them, certainly. Yeah, I would agree with that. OK, we will uh, 6-1 Manchester City beat Southampton. Holy shit. Yeah. Holy <laughs> shit. OK, well... We've got a way to go still. We a do indeed. We do indeed. OK, we are going to take a break here and come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. James, I'm going to give you the honour this week because I'm just back in the door. Need to get my shit together. You're obviously much more organised than I am. So you go right ahead with the first exciting question. I've got my head in the game. Okay, well, the, I've, I've actually got two questions on the same topic, so I'll, I'll give you them both. Okay. Sorry to, you know, mess with the rules. The first one comes from Kevin Smith, who's at Kevin Smith 1211 on Twitter. And Kevin says, is Rob Holding ready to go a whole season as our main man centre-back? And then uh, following up from that, we've got Ram, who's at Ram Arsenal 21, who says Rob Holding was massive yesterday. And surprisingly, Mustafi bought his A-game. When Socrates is fit, would you pair him with Holding or are you happy with the current partnership? Um, one swallow does not make a summer and all that when it comes to Mustafi. You know, we've seen we've seen him play some fantastic games before. I remember mm. the North London Derby last season. He scored a goal, but overall his performance was, was absolutely fantastic, Mustafi. Mm. But... Stafford Bridge last season as well. That was another one I seem to recall. Yeah, I can't really remember that one. Um, he bullied as well out of the game. I think. I think you. Could I think do that's that. easily done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Socrates, I, I'd like to see Socrates and Holding get a go together just to see what it's like. Now it may well be a case that Socrates turns out to be as error prone as as Mustafi. In which case, we have a bigger problem at centre-half than we already do. I suppose the other thing to take into account is that Lauren Koscielny is not too far away. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. From a return. So he comes into the equation as well. He comes into the mix. 
So I wonder if that might play a part in in, in Unai Emery's thinking. Um, in Unai Emery's thinking, that's a bit of a tongue twister. But holding, I'm delighted with what I've seen from him so far. Uh, he's young. He's clearly receptive to the coaching that he's getting because his game is better. He's improving this season. Uh, the fact that he's physically able to play the number of games he's able to play is a real positive as well. Maybe there's an element of him being in the team because we don't have any other options. But I don't think, much like Leno, when it comes to Petr Cech, I don't think he's done anything to warrant being dropped. And I think when a young player comes into a team and performs and starts to grow in confidence, you can you can do them some damage if you don't stick with them and you don't show them some trust as a manager. So I'm really pleased that Emery is doing that with Rob Holding. You know, he's not perfect. He's still only 22 or, or 23, maybe. But he's got uh, the attributes, I think, to be a good centre-half. Whether he's going to be a top-class centre-half, I think it's still too early to say. But he's become more physical. He's certainly physically stronger and more imposing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's, he's hit the weights. He's bulked up. He's quick. He reads the game well. He made some good clearances yesterday. He made sure he won his battles and won his headers. So um, I, I'm pleased with what's happening with him, and I think he deserves to stay in the team. Emery has to make the decision about who partners him because obviously the Socrates injury thing is a bit of a worry. He came back and played and then hasn't been seen since, so he's still got that ankle problem. But if one defender or one of our central defenders, rather, not just one defender, but if one of our central defenders this season has shown any measure of consistency, it's holding. I agree. And, you know, with the exception of the Blackpool game, I think he started the, uh, like, eight in a row, uh, with the exception of that match. And the fact that he didn't mm. play in that game is a, a credit to him and shows how important he's become. He's kind of snuck into the first team and just grown game on game. And uh, I, listen, I, I think... He's we, he's always had talent. If you think back to, was it 2017 when yeah. we got to the FA Cup final and he was part of the back three? Uh, he played a really vital part in turning that season around. And of course, in that cup final, was excellent alongside Mertesacker um, at the heart of that defence. And I think that his talent was obvious then. He he's went backwards last season, as young players sometimes do. You know, it was a bit of second season syndrome for him at Arsenal. But he's kicked on and I think... His ceiling is high enough that it's worth persisting with him. You know, if rather than you can go out and buy a young centre half, you could try and do the spare missile and tap thing and uncover somebody who's got potential. But when yeah. you've got a guy like Rob Holding already in your squad, why not invest that playing time in him? Because he's got so many positive attributes. Do I you, mean, I am. Um, go on. Go on. So you, no, 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 no. no. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll, I'll save my question. Well, actually, my question was going to be a question, um, which is right. naughty of me because I've done two already. But J.M. Hannon uh, asked, and it seems relevant to the, the Rob Holding situation, they just said, has Callum Chambers made a huge mistake in going to Fulham for the season? Or did we make a huge mistake in giving Callum Chambers a new long-term contract in June? Well, yes and no. Because even well, if, yeah, no, I get it. I get it from that point of view. But he just signed yeah. one last November, so was there any need to give him a new one? 
in June or whatever it was. You know, I know all about protecting the value of a player, etc. Um, it, it hasn't worked for him at Fulham, but I, I, didn't he have a terrible game the other week, played at right back? I mean, have, He's played, I think, in three positions already. He's yeah. played in about four, about three. He's played at right back and he has been really poor. Well, um, let's put that in the context, though, of Fulham being of course. the worst defensive team in the league. They've let in 28 goals this season. And and we know he's not a right back as well. We know sure. he's not a right back. And if you're signing him, you should know he's not a right back or a right wing back. And to his credit, he played quite well towards the end of last season. You know, when he came on mm. in the in the uh, Europa League semi-final for Koscielny, he did very well. I thought he was making progress. It's why I didn't necessarily understand the decision to, to send him out. I'm not sure his performances for Fulham justify that when we've got two fit centre halves right at this moment in time. I always felt like keeping the squad depth might be more important and maybe Chambers could be uh, making some progress, like holding, if he'd stayed. Yes. And if he'd been playing more regularly, you know, with the same kind of coaching and, and the hard work and everything else. But beside the point, I think w- what's what's interesting to me is if you were to pick three players this season who have definitely made progress, it would be holding... Iwobi, Bellerin, mm. all of whom are around the same age, 22, 23 years of yeah. age. And I think that's really interesting and really positive that these young players are responding to what's going on under Unai Emery. Xhaka is better than he was because he's got the right kind of a partner. He's got, you know, at least somebody who acknowledges that there are some flaws to his game and sets up his team to try and offset them to a certain extent. You know, whereas Arsene Wenger must have seen that there were problems at Granit Xhaka's game, but played him in a system which left him exposed over and over again. That's not to deny that Xhaka was in in some ways culpable for some of the performances and the mistakes and the unforced errors, etc., etc. But, you know, confidence is something Wenger always talked about. You try and give your players as much confidence as possible, and that's knowing what you're doing in a team, knowing what you're supposed to do, knowing where you're supposed to be, knowing as well that you've got support from teammates so that if you do something, okay, maybe that was risky, but I know Lucas Torreira now has my back. You know, I I think we're seeing these players make progress under Emery, and I think that's a very interesting part of the first three months of this season. Three players that got a lot of stick, holding not so much in fairness. But Iwobi and Bellerin got a lot of stick from our fans over the last oh, yeah. 12 months. And, and and Holding had his dark moments too. I mean, I think he played, uh, what was the Europa League game where we, we lost the home leg against... Um, Red Star, Belgrade? Or, team. Oh, um, Ostersund. You know the one I mean. FK Ostersund, exactly. I think he was one of the, the centre-halves in that game and I remember reading a lot of criticism afterwards. He had his dark moments. And, you know, to an extent, we saw a generation of Arsenal talent kind of plateau, the generation above, I think, of the likes of Jack Wilshere, Kieran Gibbs, Bellerin Iwobi holding. These guys are still young enough that it's sort of not too late for them to really kick on. And they have been doing that. And I, I, I thought your point on Iwobi's impact as a sub is there was a really good one. I mean, he is such a different player to the one that we saw last season. And um, on the subject of holding, I'm just really happy to see him 
making these strides in the team because look if centre half is a problem at least we're not just sticking with a, a tried and tested formula that we know doesn't work we are trying something different and it's not been perfect yeah. but it does feel like at least we're we're trying to make it work. Okay, we have a question here. Oh my goodness, I'm going to try and find it again. One second, we've got one on Facebook and one on Twitter. Uh, boom, boom. Here it is. The, um, one on Twitter is from the front row gooner who who is at Arsenalism thirteen. What did you make of Emery's energy on the touchline during the game? It seemed to have an impact on the team and the fans. Is this something we've been missing and could benefit from? And then Pradeep Kachala on Facebook says, what do you think of Emery on the touchline? He's very entertaining, but could it distract from the team over time? Do you want to know, will I make a confession here? Please. I didn't really watch Unai Emery on the touchline at all (laughs) during yesterday's game. I really didn't. I was just watching the players and the team and the structure and the way we were set up and, and everything else. I mean, I did see him from time to time, but I didn't really pay a huge amount of attention to him. I mean, I can see, you know, during games, you can see he's very animated. You see replays and he's, uh, you know, he, he doesn't he do something with his um, assistant where uh, Juan Carlos Carcedo, he's the one who calls the shots for the set pieces. So Emery sits back in the in the dugout and Carcedo gives the signal for the type of uh, set piece that we do. Um, he is animated, but I didn't pay a great deal of attention to him yesterday. One really nice set piece yesterday, wasn't there, off the training ground? Um, that yeah, led to a the, Shaka chance in the first half, I yeah. think it was. Uh, uh, yeah, it's nice to see one. some of those coming into play. Because so, um, so many of them are just a waste. That, yeah. You know, that, that the short corners sometimes drive me mad. I'll, I'll, you know, I like that there's a bit of variety and I like that we're trying things and, you know, it is good, but there are, maybe it's the traditionalist in me. There was a guy behind me, actually, who just kept shouting, get in the box, get in the box. <laughs> and we'd be like, in our half. And he's going, get in the box. He's going, okay, <laughs> look, at there, there, is, there is a time and a place for all that. A corner for me is a good time and a good place, but um, yeah. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It can be frustrating, but it's nice when they when they do come off. I mean, I, I watched the game on the telly and you saw a fair bit of Unai Emery. Unusually, he was shown more than Jurgen Klopp. You know, Klopp is a very animated manager who commands a bit of camera time as a consequence, but there was quite a lot of focus on BT Sport, on Emery. I mean, I think Steve McManaman was the pundit and was like, you know, his players can't hear him. You know, it doesn't really make any difference. And yeah, hold your finger up in the air and say one minute then, Steve McMahon. No cunt can fucking see you either. <laughs> Steve me. McManaman. Oh, okay. McManaman, okay, fine. But nice to have a dig at Steve McMahon anyway when we get the chance. Okay. Um, but I like it. I mean, look, I like it. I'm not sure. I think McManaman's probably got a point. I don't know how much tangible impact on a game it can have, but... As a supporter, on a sort of emotive level, I enjoyed it. And while we were talking about the Lacazette goal, you know, I watched the the replay here on Arsenalist.com and it cuts to Emery afterwards. And his celebration is brilliant, you know. I mean, he was really caught up in the passion of the moment. And I uh, I just like it. Is that is that fair? I mean, I, I, yeah. don't, I don't know what benefit it has. I don't think it's a distraction. I don't think it's a problem. It's not like he's out there gouging out people's eyes or anything like it. <laughs> Giving them cancer with his cancer thumb. Exactly. It's, you know, 
it's just someone who is absolutely invested in the moment and trying everything possible to influence the outcome of the game, even when it's probably very, very difficult. And I, I kind of empathise with that because as fans, we're sort of all in that position of desperately trying to influence the outcome whilst strangely separate from it. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, passion is what we love. We love it when players show passion. We love, you know, the celebrations. We love it when they're fired up. And I think, why should it be any different with a manager? Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I like it. I've got no problem with it. Uh, I do think sometimes it is a little bit... Uh, you know, the idea that a guy shouting on the sideline can make a huge difference. You know, it is maybe just a matter of reinforcing all the stuff that he's worked on during the week. It's not about uh, just what he's shouting on the sideline. He's reminding them what they've done in these situations, you know, on the training ground and how he's coached them and everything else. So, yeah, it is. It's it's grand. Um when you're winning and when results are good. And if results aren't good, people will turn it around and say, look at this guy screaming his head off on the sideline. He should have a bit more composure. But uh, yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine with me. On the subject of Emery, Elder, who's at Carla5262, uh, sent in this question. Uh, and she said, have we underestimated how good Emery actually is? What he's done with this group of players in a short space of time is quite remarkable. I don't think anyone expected us to be quite where we are now so quickly. Have we under... Well, I think back to the night when he was announced as the Arsenal manager... At our, which we remember well, our infamous live podcast in which yeah. we didn't the dis- Mikel Arteta special, <laughs> and I bought a wig. I bought a Mikel Arteta wig. Oh my you know. goodness! Um, I think back to that, and I, I think about my reaction to him, and it was underwhelming. I felt underwhelmed by Unai Emery, um, and just for um, for people uh, to know, I've got a, a new podcast coming out. We've got one coming out. I maybe put it out on. Tuesday, an interview with a guy who's written a book about um, Emery. Romain Molina is his name, and the book is called El Maestro. I did a big interview with him about Emery and about the work that he's done at his various clubs and what kind of a character and man he is. So you can uh, get a bit more insight into what's going on there uh, in that particular podcast. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say what he's done has been remarkable. I wouldn't go that far. I think he's had a really positive impact. I think the... Uh, results have been really good. You can't argue with the results and the points that we've got on the board. But I think it's still really early to to try and make any definitive judgment about the work that he's doing. Am I enthused and do I think we're going in the right direction? Yes. Do I think there are still fundamental issues that we have to contend with that could quite quickly change the complexion of how our season is going? Yes. So I'm just remaining a little bit cautious. I like it. I like him. I like the discipline and the hard work. You know, whatever else you might say about your football team, if you feel they've given 100% and they lose, it's much, much easier to live with that than a team that, you know is going through the motions. And we saw that last season, didn't we, at times with with uh, with some of the performances that the, the, more or less the same players put in. They, they weren't doing what they're doing this season under Emery because they weren't, it wasn't being demanded of them. Mm. So I think just the basic changes that he made, 
uh, are really positive. I think there's a lot to like about those, but I'm just going to stand back a bit and not say it's remarkable because I think those, they are basics that any manager who looked at that squad would have said, that has to be addressed and this is how I do it. So uh, I'm happy with how it's going so far, but I'm not going to go overboard just yet. That's all. So you're... Your hashtag Emery out is what I'm getting from that. <laughs> Don't start. There'll be people who'll, who'll take that seriously. No, I, I know, I know, I know. I, I just think we need more time to get a more rounded view of, of the work that he's doing. That's all. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, it's only 11 Premier League games at the end of the day, but I think I think he's been sensible and I think he's been competent. He's been super competent. I don't want to damn him with faint praise, but he has been pragmatic uh, and he has addressed some of the issues with this team. I'm not going to say all, you know, we've still got mm. our problems. And I think there is a tendency, isn't there, as fans, particularly with media being how it is these days, to hail someone as a, a genius or a buffoon, you know, and take it to the extremes. But I think he's just been uh, super competent. And, I, and I'm looking forward to listening to that podcast because, like a lot of Arsenal fans, he's not a manager... I knew incredibly well when he was appointed. Yeah. We are learning about him. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and say, I think every decision he makes is the right one. There are points, you know, substitutions he makes that I'm scratching my head, starting lineups he names that I don't understand. Uh, but I do think for the most part, he's definitely done a good job. And he's galvanised the group. He's galvanised the group. And I think that was, in some ways, maybe the hardest thing to do. You know, it's easy to come in and say oh, I'm going to play a back four or we're going to press or we're going to play on the counter-attack. But to take a group of players who look pretty dejected at the back end of last season yeah. and breathe life into them, because it is largely the same group of players, I think it was a bigger task than, than maybe some of us thought. And, and I think he has done that element of it, which shows some real man management skills which for a guy who's coming into a country where he's never worked with a language he doesn't really speak yeah. I think it's pretty decent going yeah sure is okay your question my question um, it's actually your question but I will do a question if no you I just asked a question about Emery didn't I no that was me no you are you are jet lagged hang on a second I asked you two one from Facebook and one from Twitter remember I asked you about Emmer, oh, you, oh, I see. I see what you did. <laughs> you dropped one in there. Okay, that's yeah. fine. It's definitely Elder, don't you remember Elder's I question? I do remember Elder's question. If he's question, remarkable. Yes. Yeah, okay, I get it. I am jet lagged, a bit tired, <laughs> I have to say. Okay, here's a couple of questions. Uh, okay. Here's a couple. We're really playing with the format today. Okay. Robbie Scholes, who's at Robbie Scholes, says, with the no continued relation. outstanding performances of Reese Nelson in Germany... Mm. What do you think about the idea of cashing him in for $25 million and investing $50 million to get Zaha? With Zaha entering the peak years of his career and already an elite Premier League winger. Meanwhile, Luke Bowyer says, what was the la when was the last time you had a young player doing as well on loan as Reese Nelson? I can't remember a better performance. And if people don't know, he scored again for Hoffenheim this weekend. And I can't believe it. Questions from Bowyer and Skulls on the Askcast. Who'd ever have thought? <laughs> I, it's a great goal. Have you seen it? Uh, yes, I did. Holy moly. What a hit. Yeah. I mean, he's sort of falling over as he as he hits it and it still bends beautifully into the far corner. Five Bundesliga goals I think he's got now. Yeah. Um, 
it's really a bigger impact than I anticipated. I thought at this stage of the season he'd be feeling his way into the team. You know, I thought maybe in the second half of the season we'd see him getting more game time and making his presence felt. He's been fantastic and it does make you wonder, to be honest, what he might have done in those Europa League games last season if he'd been playing in his proper position and not as a as a wing-back. Yeah. As valuable as that game time presumably was to him. Um, I don't think we should sell Reese Nelson. No, everything I'm seeing of Reese Nelson <laughs> makes me think I would want to see more of Reese Nelson at Arsenal. I'm not thinking of... I'm not seeing dollar signs when I see him scoring goals in the Bundesliga, are you? No, no. If he's outstanding and making outstanding progress and he's just signed a new deal with us, why would we sell him and buy somebody else? You know, this is a young guy who's come through our academy. He's He's gone out on loan to make a statement, I think, about the talent that he has. You know, he's had the confidence to go abroad, to go to a, a big league, to a Champions League club, which Arsenal aren't this season. It's uh, worth remembering. And he's performing really, really well. And that's fantastic for him, but also fantastic for us. Because if he continues the way he continues, or even just has a, a, a the rest of this season, even if he scores another four or five goals, you know, it's a really good return for an 18-year-old player, uh, you know, in his first full season of first-team football. So I, I think he's a player that if he makes progress away from home or on loan, he should come back and play for us. That's what I think. Yeah, I can't wait. can't wait to see him come back next season and see what he can do with all the experience, with all the confidence he will have gained out there. And I think, you know, he deserves big credit for taking that step. And, you know, it's following a trend that has occurred in the last few years. We've seen Jaden Sancho and Adam Oda-Lukman do it, but he is making a f- quicker impact, I think, than than they did and a bigger one in terms of the goals he's scoring. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, I'm a confirmed admirer of Wilfred Zaha, but I wouldn't, I don't think I'd be willing to trade in Reese Nelson to, to get him because I just, you know, he's, he's one of ours and I think he's going to be an outstanding player hopefully yeah. if he carries on like this and in fact a lot of people asked this week um, let me have a look one was Matt who's at the Matt Myth says would you bring Reese Nelson back in January to compete for a place in the first team or continue to let him develop at Hoffenheim and there were a few people asking that I mean I think it's probably unlikely that we have the ability to do that usually with a season long loans they're pretty definitive aren't they I think so but I, you know he did say something the other week about the possibility of coming back in January. Oh, really? I think so. I think so. I could be wrong. But if it were me, and unless there were a crisis of some kind in terms of injuries and players available to us, I think I'd leave him on loan for the season. I think I would. Uh, He's obviously having a good time. He's obviously thriving. He's enjoying his football. He's enjoying the responsibility he's been given. And if he comes back to Arsenal with, let's say, everyone's fit, you've got Aubameyang, you've got Lacazette, you've got Ozil, you've got Mkhitaryan, you've got Iwobi, you've got Ramsey, you've got Welbeck. Mm. Where is he going to play? What's the benefit of bringing him back for the odd substitute appearance or the odd whatever, Carling, if we're even in the Carling Cup or FA Cup appearance, when he could be playing Champions League football for Hoffenheim and scoring goals for them. So unless there's an injury crisis of some kind, I say leave him out there and let him continue what he's doing. I'm inclined to agree. Uh, let's have this question. I suppose okay. this is 
after uh, Granite Shaka and Alex Awobi's spells there. And uh, Widaprasa, who's at WEW underscore AFC, says, do you think fullback is the easiest position in football? It seems like every player could play there. I've, he out of his mind. <laughs> what was his name again? What was his name again? I think his name's Widaprasa, and apologies if I'm well, mangling that. Okay, uh, I'm not even going to attempt to mangle it, but uh, you, sir... You're wrong. No way is it the easiest position to play in football. It is one of the most difficult positions to play in football, physically. I remember mm. very late in my <laughs> in my Sunday league career, uh, and I'm a centre half, as you know, uh, being asked to play it right back one day. And it's just fucking mind-bogglingly difficult. Uh, demanding from a physical point of view you know you're there you're on the right wing you've got to get up and support and then all of a sudden you get a you get a throw we've got a throw in right deep in their half by their corner flag okay i'm on my way i gotta get up there hang on guys i'm coming just wait i'm there now okay take the throw in (laughs) and the ball goes fucking back down the other end and everyone's going where's the fucking right back and you're going "I'm, i'm trying i'm doing my best to get back it's really really difficult to play fullback, and especially in the modern game, where you've got to have the energy to to cope with not only a, uh, a really quick, tricky, fast, physical opponent who's playing out there as a forward, but when you look at the uh, fullbacks uh, uh, in in football as well, they get forward so well. Uh, they cause you problems too. I think your man uh, who plays left back for Liverpool is really good. What's his name? Robertson. Oh, Robertson. He yeah, is. He, I was very impressed with him uh, in the game on Saturday, yesterday. So, no, not everybody can play at fullback. Callum Chambers can't play at fullback. Johan Juru was having a fantastic spell at centre half for Arsenal, where people thought, well, he could be the guy to anchor the defence. And then he had to play a while at left back. No, right back. And it was like, uh, okay, it's over now. <laughs> it's over for Johan Juru. Yeah. Um, I don't, I just don't know. It's not, it's not, anyone can't play there. You could fill in and do a job, but it's a very specialized role. Very specialized That's it. role. And I think Shaka, you know, when he played there, he didn't play as a modern fullback plays. It wasn't like he was marauding down the touchline. You know, he played in a conservative mm. manner to protect himself. And with a guy like uh, Torreira or Ganduzi or whoever it was in front of him who who knew they had to provide some cover. And similarly, Awobi, you know, you sort of slotted in there towards the end of the game last night. But that's a very different thing where you're chasing a game. Yeah. And there's, you know, to a certain extent, it's sort of caution to the wind at that point. That's, We've that's seen, what it was, yeah. Yeah, we've seen Oxlade Chamberlain, we've seen Ramsey, we've seen players fill in a Theo Walcott even filled in a, a right exactly. back a few times. Uh, can I ask you a question? Because something has mm. passed me by here. I saw people on Twitter talking about Danny Welbeck playing at left back. And they're saying, right. well, Danny, well, Danny Welbeck apparently has been playing left back in training and stuff. Where What? What, why do people want to play Danny Welbeck at left? My voice is going now because I was a little bit sh- <laughs> shouty at the football yesterday. But uh, what? Is anyone thinking playing Danny Welbeck at fullback? What's going on? I know. I know. Well, look, fortunately, it didn't come to it. I mean, it, 
you, you would have really surprised me if you told me that Iwobi would be a fullback at any point. But it's a very different scenario, isn't it, when you're sort of throwing everything out the game. And as Jurgen Klopp said, Arsenal yeah. brought all their strikers on. He thought Burkamp or Van Persie were going to come on in a minute. So I, I, I agree with you. I think fullback is actually physically one of the most demanding positions on the pitch, probably with central midfield. And technically as well, you are operating in really narrow spaces all the time. I mean, the technique required to sort of keep the ball in play, to get to the byline, to get those crosses in. I mean, some, a player like Hector Bellerin is someone right at the apex of the game, really, like, for me, in terms of what he does physically and technically. Yeah. Um, and when you look at the best teams in Europe, so often it is about their fullbacks. You know, look at Man City, Carl Walker and Mendy on the other side. Think back to the Barcelona team. Danny Alves. Alves. Jesus. You know, it's such a crucial role. Um, yeah, if you can maybe find... Maybe you can... Go on. Yeah. If... I was going to say, maybe you can kind of protect yourself and get through a game as a fullback. But to be a top-class fullback, I think you've got to be absolutely exceptional. If you can find a really, really top-class fullback, you give yourself such an advantage. Because I think there's a, you know, if you can play the role, you can play the role well, fine. And you can do the whatever. But if you've got something a bit extra, you can add something to your team. You really can, mm. you know. And those players are few and far between, it has to be said. But, you know, you, just, you ask any central defender, will you play fullback today? They'll be like, ah, oh, fuck, fuck. <laughs> Remember, even Vermaelen, who was actually not terribly ill-suited to, to left back, because he's a good left-footed player. He wasn't, you know, he's not a six-foot-four kind of centre-half. He was a 5'11", six-foot guy. So, you know, he wasn't completely out of his comfort zone there. He hated it. He hated oh, yeah. playing there. Central defenders hate playing at fullback because you have to run all day fucking long. Whereas if you're a centre-half... Go on, what were you going to say? I was going to say, do you remember Pascal Sigan at left-back? Yeah. It was carnage. Yeah, I mean, look, I can, and I can understand why. It's just because you're a defender doesn't mean you can play every defensive position. You know, fullbacks occasionally are interchangeable. We've seen Bakary Sanya play a bit at left back. Bellerin played a little bit at left back. I don't think it, it suited him at all. Licksteiner has played over on the left. Uh, Jenkinson played there on the left. You know, there's a lot to be said. There's a reason yeah. why, why Unai Emery picked Granite Xhaka at left back is because he needed a left-footed player at left back. And he yes, was basically also, the only one that he had. And, and well, you know, w when you think right. about what, what kind of a player Xhaka is physically, uh, you know, he did, he did pretty well there, you know, for the couple of games or the game, two and a half games that he had to play there. And also, I mean, Xhaka is actually not a great example of this, but the physical profile of a fullback in the modern game and a centre back is is really different. And actually, I think fullbacks share more generally uh, with central midfielders uh, than they do with with uh, centre halves. Which is why I think sometimes when you see a guy like Maitland Niles or a guy like Coquelin, you know, pushed it pressed into those positions, they can kind of manage all right because I think the physical demands are are more related than they are between a fullback and a centre half. Yeah, uh, which is why someone like Chambers can look like such a mess when he's out on the flank. Mm. Is it my question? I've lost track. I think track. so. Okay. Alex Cook, who is at AKC3 in Austin. I presume that's Austin, Texas. It is. Mm -hmm. I've looked at his location. He says, does the proposal of Arsenal being part of a European Super League hold any appeal to you? Not really. 
Not really. I mean, I don't want to be left out. And I'll be honest, <laughs> I found it hilarious that, that Tottenham we dinner. were on the proposed list and Spurs weren't. But I love the Premier League. I love English football. And I think that the, I think the Champions League kind of works as is. I feel like it's horribly inevitable, but it's not something that I am desperate for. I love watching us play Crystal Palace and Wolves next week and whoever it might be. I love the the history of those rivalries and the fact that it's all sort of relatively local. I love the fact that it's easy for fans to go to games home and away and not extortionally expensive with the travel and the accommodation. Um, so it's not something that I uh, look forward to, but I accept that for economic reasons, it probably is an inevitability. How about you? Oh, I think it's just born out of greed and avarice and people wanting to protect the the investments that they've made in football clubs rather than it being in any way good for football, good for footballers, good for football fans. It is just the height of, what's the word, capitalism, whatever it is, this, this idea that football is something that they can just milk and exploit and ring for every single last penny that they can get from the game, whether it, whether it's good for the game or not. And I think it would be terrible for football. I think it really would be. I, and I agree with you that it's probably inevit- uh, an inevitability. I think it's really sad that that's the case. Uh, but these are just... No, it's just bad. It really is bad. Did you read the uh, the stuff in Der Spiegel, the big long expose on Gianni Infantino and and all that that yeah. came out? I read, I read I read the top lines. I haven't read the whole thing. The, the whole yeah. article is really well worth a read. I mean, it gets a bit right. it gets a bit dry at times in terms of uh, some of what's going on, but it just gives you detail and background and. Uh, it explains why FIFA is still probably as corrupt as it ever was under mm-hmm. Sepp Blatter. Um, it explains why football is going in a direction that many of us don't like. Uh, maybe that's because of our age or maybe it's because we're worth or we're used to different things. But, you know... A European Super League, because it would have to come at the expense of the domestic league. Simple as that. You couldn't have the two things running hand in hand. So that means mm. Arsenal don't play London derbies. It means we don't play uh, the majority of our games at home against other, you know. Yeah. It's just, I'm by home, I mean England. Sorry, I you know, obviously you would have home games in the in the Europa League or in the European Super League, whatever the fuck they're going to call it or whatever they do. It's just awful. It is, it's awful. I can't express, I'm too tired and I'm too jet lagged after that really long sit on the tarmac <laughs> to, to really express how, how opposed I am to it. But it's something they've been trying to push football towards for a long, long time. Decades now. And Decades. I do, you know, I do wonder if it's something that, I spoke to Rory Smith on the, the podcast the other week about, you know, how fans do have power. Fans do have the power to change things. But because of the tribalism that's involved in football, we don't always come together as 
football fans because we're so divided as Arsenal fans or Liverpool fans or United fans or Chelsea fans or whatever. And I understand that. But I think for the good of the game, it's something that I hope fans will mobilize against because it would it would destroy the Premier League domestic football in all of the countries in which you know these top clubs are going to come from in Spain in Germany in England in Italy France it would just be terrible and it's not you know ultimately I don't think it's good for fans either you know atmospheres you know, it's one thing if you've got to go uh, to an away game and it's in Selhurst Park or Craven Cottage or wherever it might be, you can get there. But, you know, if you've got to book flights, you've got to book, book hotels, you know, how does that impact on the, the atmosphere and everything else? You know, yeah. you can do I, it occasionally, but not week in, week out. You can't do that. No. And that's sort of what the Champions League is for. And I think it has to... The champ, one of the good things about the Champions League is that you have to qualify for it. You know, you're not in there just because, you know, you happen to be a kind of powerful club historically. You, you're you in there on merit. Um, and I... I yeah, I, I've got no enthusiasm for it at all. I think the Premier League is absolutely part of the fabric of uh, English culture. I mean, not just English, but particularly English culture. Yeah. And it'd be really sad for me as a fan to sort of see that eroded. So I, I hope it doesn't come to it. I really do. Up yours, European Super League. That's what we say on this podcast. We've got the Europa League. What, what more do we need? Exactly. Europa, it's almost European in its phrasing, <laughs> whatever. <sighs> anyway, yeah. look, we've been podcasting for quite some time now, so I think we should leave it there. Um, for this week and just you know let's not end on a bad note let's remember what a great game we had this weekend and uh, the great performances and everything else Uh, if you would like to give us a rating or review on iTunes please feel free to do that it's not mandatory we don't hold it against you if you don't but if you felt like doing that that would be great we'd really appreciate it Um, what else nothing else just at this moment oh other than we could do a little teaser here couldn't we Oh yeah, could do a little teaser because we are planning uh, as soon as your schedule allows, of course, uh, mm-hmm. because you're doing all this, you know, w- acting, pretending to be other people, pretending yes. to be when, other people. <laughs> when things have returned to normal, and we're recording this on Monday mornings, and yeah, life yeah. is all but, goodly again. Exactly, we are uh, going to start a brand new series uh, for Patreon members, a brand new series of probably short little podcasts, but they should be very entertaining. Uh, so they're coming soon, probably towards the end of this month. We'll get a few in the can and uh, and get those out there. So if you want to become an Arsblog member on Patreon, you can do that. Patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. So keep an eye out for that. We will have the other podcast with Romain Molina uh, coming up on Tuesday as well. And this week we play, it's Thursday night, isn't it? Sporting. Thursday night, sporting. Sporting yep. in, the, uh, in the Europa League. So we'll have a podcast at some point on uh, Friday morning. Hopefully uh, we'll get that for you. But for now, thank you as ever for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.